Well, I've invited my wife, Paula, to join me. Uh, I hope you will suffer us this little indulgence, but we've just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary yesterday. And congratulations to you. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, and so I thought it would be great for us just to talk about, uh, while we're not trying to hold our marriage up to, as, as a model, what we are trying to say is that we have learned some things along the way and that we have counseled with hundreds and hundreds of folks and we've taught a lot of people uh, on marriage. And we thought it would be, I just thought it would be good you to hear her voice. You hear mine all the time. But really, if it weren't for Paula, Paula has saved me in every way a man can be saved. And I don't say that to brag. I just say that to be a confession of truth. And uh, But when we look back 14,601 days ago, when we had a lot of days, when we were 18 years old, uh, how we, we were sure. I mean, uh, and, and when you look back on our, our marriage, what is the, the, how did we start well to get to here? I mean, what at age 18, at age 18 <laughs> you, the only thing you know is what you don't know, right? right I guess. Right. And yeah. so people say 18, man, we're from Kentucky, right? You, you, know, you can get married. We definitely were children. <laughs> and I think that more and more as I get older, obviously. But, um, you know, I think the, the, uh, the biggest thing that we both were raised in a Christian home and while they were totally opposite in their their style of of and method of going to church, I think David's kind of went Sunday morning and sat in the same seat every Sunday, and mine were heavily involved, and we were there, you know, basically 24-7. Uh, but I think through all of it is that the number one thing that I remember is that my faith was so important, and I remember wanting to please two people, and that was God and my parents, and even as a young child. So, you know, I think no matter where you are and what your background has been, that the important thing is that you establish your faith whenever and wherever you are in, in a relationship and then get together on that same page and start toward the goals together. And I, definitely our faith has been what's um, kept us through the tough times and the Things, times that we really didn't like each other and the times that we just, you know, disagreed um, is working it out together, knowing that whatever, we've made a commitment to stand strong and to keep our faith number one. So. You know, one of the things that stands out to me is, uh, and we've seen this work itself out in so many lives, uh, you were willing, I mean, I remember vividly, I knew you liked me a lot. <laughs> and uh, and uh, But... But I remember the night you said, you know what, I don't want to date you anymore after tonight because I don't want to fall in love with a guy who's going to die and go to hell, which I thought was rude. But and my response was, I am a Christian. I'm a Baptist, which is the same thing in my mind. And uh, but you were I mean, where did you get I mean, you know, it, it, it is amazing because I think, you know, I'm obviously not a goody goody person and I do have many. Uh, you know, many things in my life that you struggle with, but you also, I think just that childlike faith that, that you have and knowing that, you know, I want for me, even at 18. You knew then, right? Yeah. yeah. I want for me 
uh, a person that is committed to Christ. Whatever the rest of our life looks like, I know that that was a priority. And, um, and yay God, you know, that, um, that he somewhere along the line chose us to, uh, get together and, and to follow right. our dreams and to establish in a relationship with him, number one, but a relationship with other that, that shares our faith to people. Right. One of the things that I think is outstanding in, uh, about you is, uh, that you're a great mother. Thank you. And it's been a, a, a love time. Great. Great uh, time. I stand in awe of your ability to love. And we do have three amazing, amazing daughters that, um, like us, they don't want to ever be put on a pedestal. And you all have areas in your life that, that you are, uh, feel like, gee, I'm nobody. And, uh, but we do, I am honored to have been, uh, a mom of three great, amazing ladies. And, um, David asked me in the earlier service, where do you, uh, what would you tell moms today? And the biggest thing is to, and I tell them this today, enjoy every minute of your life, of your, of the times that you have with your babies. If it's at 3 a.m. in the morning, while that's not the most joyful time, it is amazing that the impact that you're making in your life as well as theirs, that, you know, from the minute we have them, we're teaching responsibility how to be an adult. And uh, it's it's an amazing, awesome responsibility and such a joyful time that, that I look back and I know that from the minute they were born till now, I loved every age age they went through and through the attitudes and the disagreements and the uh, whatever we went, went through. It is it is a time to treasure, and that's definitely something that I, I do, and I still do with them today. They're great ladies. Well, one of the things that uh, I, wanted, I wanted to point out uh, is we have we're partners, right? We're not just partners in in our marriage and in our parenting, but we work together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have worked together since uh, 1989 when we moved to Nashville. And uh, that is an important part yeah, of our absolutely. of who we are. Absolutely. And uh, I remember when the gathering was formed, we had, a, we had and have an advisory board. And uh, as they were, we were walking through the, found, the, the founding or the forming of the gathering, I remember vividly one of the guys saying, uh, Craig Barber saying, you know mm-hmm. what, Paul, we want you to do what you do well so David can do what he does well. When he doesn't, when he does more than that, he gets weird. <laughs> and that's not good. That was, I'm not sure that was the word, the word they used, but it's the word I'm choosing to, you. to use. <laughs> and we do compliment each other, I think, uh, well and, uh, I mean, how we learn, I mean, what would you say to couples who, who maybe there's a, there's a a conflict between them, between work life and and home life? Well, you know, I think with us, the biggest thing is that, uh, one of the, probably one of the struggles that we had early on is that David didn't want to bring home 
his issues and, and things that he had struggled with at work. And my point was always, I might could help you a little bit if you would just share with me. And I think that's the, the ultimate is that knowing whatever you're doing, that you are doing life together, whether that's in the same profession, working together, or if right. that's whatever you're doing. <clears throat> if, if she's a stay at home mom and, and you have a high stress career, it is, that when you come in the home together that you share and that you get on the just on the same page and uh, and know that whatever you've struggled with that day you do want to hear about it and that's just uh, the um, the awesome that's one of the pr- privileges and benefits of being married one of the things i want to point out i it, it, uh, i remembered it right after the first service uh, is you've you you you've always you stayed home with our children but you also worked Mm-hmm. You've always worked and stayed home. You've always, you've, you've been an incredibly hard worker. And, uh, I mean, what do you say to a young mother or maybe a mother who feels the financial pressure to contribute to the family financially, but also the tug to be home? Because somehow you were able to navigate that, I think, beautifully. I mean, mm-hmm. you never complain. You never, you know, you just... I mean, it was selling Mary Kay or was working at night or working. You opened the dealers over at Bellevue uh, with them. And, you know, you've always been, you know, for us, it's never, you know, we wanted you to stay home, but you also needed to contribute, too. So right, right. you never, I, I mean, you never, I don't remember you making a, a big deal other than that. Then that's just what you did. Well, I think especially, and this is what I've told our girls all, all their life, is that, uh, you know, they're the, especially now, the technology is so amazing that if, if you are a stay-at-home mom, and I think the biggest thing is that sometimes you feel like you do want to contribute um, and that you do need a little bit of time away from the family life and, and a, a, a little bit of identity for yourself. And the thing that is so amazing about today is that Wow, I did Mary Kay and babysat and all the, you know, glamorous little fields of life. Um, <laughs> um, you did find your your niche and uh, find something that you have fun at. And, and again, we can do so much today. Uh, Women can have a career and a home and a great family, and it's just prioritizing. I would say that's the key word. It's prioritizing which is most important, and obviously the family is, so... Um, I would say, yes, you can, what your choice is and what works well for your family is what works. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for indulging us. I know that that is, you know, everyone gets a chance. You all have anniversaries and birthdays that are as important to you. But I think what we hope to, to say to you is, that as believers, as followers of Christ, as people who are seeking the best life possible, it is possible to be married to your best friend. It is possible for marriage to get better and better and better and better and better and better as you get older. Uh, You don't have to die to go to hell. When life and marriage doesn't work, it is like hell on earth. And I'm just telling you that wherever you are in your family, whether it's your parents, your children, your siblings, living redemptively with them in the now, 
is, is the most important victory you will ever win. We wanted desperately for our family. Our, you know, Paula's parents are very religious and very involved. As a matter of fact, we didn't realize Paula and I have been a part of planting three churches. One in Huntsville, Alabama, and two here in Nashville. I didn't realize until several years into this, because the first thing I remember when I became a pastor, I never want to plant a church, because that's got to be awful hard. And uh, so we ended up planting three, not realizing in my mind that Paula's mom and dad planted the church she grew up in. So I thought it was interesting how the legacy begins to flow. And what we wanted to do is leave a legacy. My mom and dad were sweet, nice people, but our faith was cosmetic. It was cultural. We lived in a county seat town. We went to the First Baptist Church, and we went to church on Sunday to make business connections. Now, a lot of good people there, but for me, the whole Jesus thing was just right over the top of my head. Because we didn't, it didn't work itself out relationally in our home. And I want to make sure absolutely that you understand that if you, loving and knowing Jesus, if it doesn't affect the way, listen, if your worship, if your faith doesn't affect the way you treat people, you need a new faith. Amen? This whole idea of us being Christians and mean to people, gotta go. This is, we, we cannot suffer this. So I thought it would just, as we begin this next series, I'm really excited about the, you know, messy like me. But as we begin, I just thought I would, you know, we ask people all the time, do you have any regrets? People say, no, I don't have any regrets. I do. I have three regrets. I'm going to share them with you. And then some things I don't regret. I definitely don't regret. One, I regret, I will regret to the day I die the pain I've caused Paula. I've been too frustrated, too upset, too angry, too driven, too whatever it is. And oftentimes, when a man is full of himself, his wife has to pay the price. Can I hear an amen? But Colossians 3.19 says this, Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. I found myself being angry with other people to my wife. Anyone? Tell me I'm not the only sinner among us. To dwell above with the people we love, that will be grace and glory. But to live below with the people we know, well, that's another story. I have asked for and received forgiveness. Secondly, I regret that I wasn't fully engaged in the raising of my children. I mean, fully engaged. Oh, I was there sometimes because I had to be there. And it wasn't in my mind that I had to be there, but looking back, I wasn't leaning in, fully engaged, really savoring the moment, savoring the, the, the graduations, savoring the recitals, savoring everything they did. Thank God that my three daughters, like their mother, are full of grace. Whew, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I regret, thirdly, fretting too much. Sometimes it's good to pull out the King James, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land. 
and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way into the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself of, of those because of him who prospers in his way. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Wow. I look back over 40 years of marriage and walking with God, and I think God sometimes was saying to me, really, you're not going to enjoy this? You're going to be all uptight? You're going to worry and fret? Have I not taken care of you? Are you not well fed? Are you not clothed? Have I always been there? And every time I've reluctantly had to say, yes, Lord, but, but, but I think God is saying to some of us, get over your butt. Amen. So that's enough confessing. Let's start preaching. <laughs> As I look back and try to distill the teachable moments, the things that two 18-year-old kids in love with God and life and each other Got right. Here are five things I definitely don't regret. I definitely don't regret taking God seriously. I definitely don't. Exodus 20 says this. You must not make for yourself any idol, any image of anything in the heaven or the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down. These are not suggestions. These are commandments. You must not. You must not bow down and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I will not tolerate your affection toward another. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. Wow. Whoa. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey me. That is a promise from God. It is inviolable. It is absolutely true. And I've seen it operate thousands and thousands of times. Thank God we took God seriously. I remember going to my mom and dad and saying, you know what, I'm, I've become a Christian. And they said, well, you're already a Christian. You're a Baptist. You have a certificate. You've been baptized in the church. What I was unable to articulate to them is that Christ was now going to become the core of my life. They dismissed it as Paula messing me up. That girl has gotten you religious. My mother said, well, whether she did it to me or not, for 40 years it is held. And Christ has been, at least in our heart and our intention, if not always in our practice, at the core of our relationship and the core of our parenting and the core of everything we've tried to do. And I have to tell you, we're reflecting on those years and we're pretty happy with the choices we've made. How many of you can say 14,601 days ago I made a choice I'm living with today and I'm very happy with it? Secondly, I don't regret making Scripture my family's foundation. I've learned that to, na na to navigate the ever-changing world, you must have a never-changing core. You must understand what is never-changing so you can embrace and enjoy the things that are ever-changing. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. He says, but if for you continue in what you've learned, and I'm convinced of because you know 
those from you, uh, you know that from whom you've learned, excuse me, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Aren't those written 2,000 years ago? In other words, Paul is saying the the scriptures are the foundation. You can trust them and your life can flourish as you put them on that foundation. All I've been saying is this, is I, we've tried to live it. We've tried to live by the truth of scripture and it's worked for us. I'm telling you with all of my heart, not as your pastor, but as your friend, you can trust God's word. You can trust the Bible. It is true. It is God's word. It has been protected providentially and delivered into your hands. And you can read it, saturate it, embrace it, live by it. You will never, 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 never regret obeying its truth. Ever. Ever. I will confess this. And maybe you want to leave before I'm through. Just leave quietly we have never in our family in 40 years had what you would call family devotions i know people who do maybe you do and if you do and it works for you then yeah you but i've never been able to take a discipline and turn it into a delight but i've always gladly been able to turn my delight into a discipline and we have tried to live it and and implied in our lives. Paul and I have had this conviction that uh, that the scripture lived in real life and how you deal with the stresses and strains of life is better than a plastic word preached from a pulpit. So our daughters have to see us living the truth of scripture. If you were to ask our children this morning, what is your mother's favorite verse, her life verse? Trust me, they could give it to you. We have heard it ad nauseum. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, I've heard it enough. I don't need to hear it anymore. But, she's, but we have spoken it and lived it. Many of you know exactly what we're talking about. I don't regret taking God seriously. I don't regret having Scripture as the foundation. Because listen... What else are you going to leave your children? What foundation are you going to offer them that will work in their world, a world you will know nothing about? I mean, do we not live in a different world? Hello? I mean, the world has changed so much in my short life. Can you imagine how much it's going to change in your children's life? What do you hope to hand them that will that will equip them well to thrive in that next new world? God's word. Trust it. Believe it. Saturate. Let it, read it. Listen, this morning, some of you are following along with me on a little a, a program called you version. I was this was created by a church, a single church in Oklahoma and given away for free. They have logged over four and a half billion hours of Bible reading. Billion. Is that not amazing? The Bible is still the best-selling book in the world. It goes everywhere. It is living. Trust it. Build your life on it. Third. 
This is not a tithing point, so just calm down. I don't regret giving God's way. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay store uh, as God has prospered. There be no gatherings when I come. Matthew six nineteen. Don't store up treasure on earth where moth can eat and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Thieves cannot break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your the desires of your heart will be also. The idea is I love God, so I tithe. It's I want to love God. I don't, so I'll tithe. And if I tithe, I will. Isn't that weird? In other words, what do you treasure? Your money. Money's a good thing. It's just not a God thing. Money's a wonderful servant. A horrible master. And I don't know why. I can't explain it to you. I'm trying to defend. The first two changes that happened to me when when Jesus Christ arrested me was number one, I stopped smoking. Now, if someone had said, David, you got to stop smoking, I would have said, note to self, do not stop smoking even if you die a horrible, slow death from lung cancer. Just to prove to the world that nobody can tell you what to do. I'm sure none of you are that way, right? But somehow, I it just, you know, I stopped when I was, uh, somebody said, how long did you smoke? Seven years. Started when I was 11. I figure if it's worth growing, it's worth smoking, right? I'm from Kentucky where smoking is indeed still to this day a spiritual gift. And I started tithing. That's the second thing. Now, again, if someone has says tithe, I would have said probably no. Made a dollar sixty-five an hour. Paula was the breadwinner of the family. She was making a dollar seventy. And we started tithing. We have tithed for forty years. I don't. I, it, it was a, a lot of other things I didn't do, but somehow that became important. You understand? Given it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall God pour? I, somehow I believe that. And I'm telling you, for 40 years, we've done money God's way. Even before we knew Dave Ramsey. That, you know what Dave did for me? He gave me the how. He, he broke it down and said, an ordinary guy who knows nothing about money can win with money. And yea, God for Dave Ramsey. Yea, God for who he is and what he is and what he stands for. But at the end of the day, Dave didn't help me understand the principle of giving. I understood that at 18. Now, some of you have never learned it, and you're paying the price for it. Someone asked me last night, what have you and Paula, you know, before he asked a big deal, you know, what, like, what did you get each other? You want to know what I got, Paula? No, that's fine. Well, I don't need to tell you. Just, you don't want to know. That's okay. That's okay. It's a personal thing anyway. I gave Paula what she gave me. We gave each other for our 40th wedding anniversary a paid-off mortgage. We, for the first time in our married life, are completely 100% debt-free. Now, I don't say that 
to brag, but I do confess it. I do. It's a witness. It's a, a, a to the faithfulness of God. I pulled out our giving statement here from the gathering from last year, and I looked at it, the bottom of it, and I went, "Cool. Yes, I'm happy." I looked at that money. I'm thinking. What all could I have bought with that? (laughs) And it's as though God was saying, nothing that wouldn't get you in trouble. (laughs) And and it wasn't just last year's giving statement. It's every giving statement for the last 40 years. And we put, we, 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 uh, uh, tallying up to the day between me and our children. Now, here's a great thing. I'm going to praise my wife. My wife worked so we could all go to school, sacrificed and gave and did two or three jobs so I could go to college, graduate school, seminaries, so our kids could go to school. And so I want to give her the, the honor she's due. But we've paid for 23 years of higher education, debt-free. Went to college, went to a private college here in Nashville, debt-free. She's a tool and dime maker. She worked, she worked at a little company then, upstart company called ComData. And we've been hard workers, but God has been faithful. You understand what I'm saying? If you do God, if you do money God's way, then you'll have God's blessing. I'm just telling you, you're looking at a couple who's lived it. We've moved, we've done, we've done all what you guys have done. We've been in financial straits, we've been in debt, we've done stupid stuff. I mean, we got married when we were 18 before our first anniversary. We were in debt for a set of tires. Oh, and a, and a dryer at Sears we just paid off two weeks ago. <laughs> or at least that's what it felt like. Tell me you've ever done that. You know, and you look back and you say, you know, God must love stupid people because there are so many of us. I don't regret taking God seriously. I do not regret having Scripture as the foundation of our family. I do not regret giving God's way. I fourthly do not regret joining the movement. I believe in the church. I believe that the church is God's idea, that it's near his heart, that anyone who puts their heart and soul in serving and building his church will find his blessing. I'm glad early on we learned that and we understood that. And that we understood just because there are a lot of sucky churches out there doesn't mean the ideal of church is a bad idea. There are a lot of churches that if they were to burn down the day, we would all be better off. You say, well, that's a harsh statement. No, it's not harsh enough. Because listen to me now, believe me later. Just because it has church and religious attached to it doesn't mean that it's not toxic and harmful and put people into religious bondage that grieves the heart of God. That's the truth. And you know that. Some of you, we've heard this thousands and thousands and thousands of times of people who've gone to church for hope and love and acceptance and they've been beat up. That's why you don't hear me. I'm not going to preach against gays. I'm not going to preach against homosexuals. I'm not going to preach against the Democrats or the Republicans or the politics or a thousand other social issues you would love for me to stand up and rate about. I'm not going to do it. So if that's what you're into, you can go somewhere else. 
I'm going to make much of Jesus and much of grace. I'm going to try to live redemptively and let whatever needs changing in your life, I'm going to let God do that. Because He can do it quite well. Amen? So... People ask my day, do, do homosexuals attend your church? I hope so. Adulterers attend my church. Fornicators attend my church. People who masturbate attend my church. Can I say that word in church? I mean, liars attend my church. Amen? Come on. Come on. Just great big old messy people. So. If you're under conviction for the stupid things you're doing, thank God. Because once He brings your heart around to change, it is a sweet place to be. Amen. Lastly, I do not regret not quitting. I do not regret not quitting. When I got a contract to write my first book, I thought, I sit down and I said, what if I were to die the day after I finished the manuscript, what would I want to have said? I have said, don't quit. The power to prevail in the quitting moments of life is the sweetest power any man or woman can possess. The power to see the impossible and the outrageous and the ridiculous that comes in your life and still push through it is a God thing, a divine gift. It is the greatest and most noble of abilities. It is, the, it is the fullest and surest and purest expression of true faith. I do not quit. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You just don't give up. Paula didn't give up on me. When she had to sit and listen to me preach on Sunday, how wonderful. Oh, your, Pat, your husband is wonderful. Oh, Paula, what's it must be like to be married today? Well, I'm glad she didn't tell him the truth. <laughs> she always smiles and says, well, that's not special. <laughs> she put up with my crap and she loved me back to health. Yay, God. Yeah, you can clap. I'll close with this. There's a study done several years ago of the effect of faith in families. And so two families that formed in 1677 were traced in their lineage noted. One family whose name I will not, I'm not going to tell you the last name because it's not important. But the guy was notorious as a thief and the girl was notorious for being quite friendly. All of the adults understand what I mean? Okay. This couple, married in 1677, produced 1,900 descendants. This study traced what happened to these descendants, and this is what they found. 771 of those 1,900 descendants were criminals. 250 were arrested for various offenses. 60 were thieves. 
39 were convicted of murder. 40 of the women died from venereal diseases. They spent together a a combined total of 1,300 years behind bars, costing the state of New York $3 million in incarceration expenses. That's one family. Another family called the Edwards family, both husband and wife, devoted Christians. In the third generation of their married family, they produced a grandson by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Now, if you know nothing about church history in America or you know something, you will know that Jonathan Edwards was a key figure in the New England revivals that swept America and built most of the churches that we have today. And oh, by the way, Jonathan Edwards became the president of Princeton University. Of the 1,344 descendants, many more were college presidents and professors. 186 were ministers of the Gospels, and hundreds of others were active in their local churches. 86 became state senators, 3 became congressmen, 30 became judges, and even one of them became vice president of the United States. And in that family's lineage, there was no reference and no uh, evidence found that any one of them were ever incarcerated in jail or ever found bankrupt. I'm telling you, God makes the difference. Loving Him and trusting Him will allow you to leave a legacy on this earth that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation will speak your name with tears and grace. And that's what you want. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but for all the tomorrows to come. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, I give these amazing men and women to you. Father, I wish I could say it better. What I feel today as I stand before you, loving you, wanting you, pursuing you, so happy that you love me, and pursued me and didn't give up on me. I pray for someone, Father, a family, a couple, someone who's estranged from their children, maybe their mom, their dad. I pray in Jesus' name that you will begin a redemptive story, a beautiful story, a legacy that will shock the world and give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good one.